tonight and you did not have the opportunity to partake of the Lord's Supper this morning, if you'll go back to the little chapel, uh, somebody will take care of you at this time. All right, let's begin. Books of the Bible. Two blood, cross and rise, don't forget the burial. 
it, all right? Time to get away from this. Creation. Give me some more. The blood. No smoke. Sodom and Gomorrah. Bible class, we've just got a few uh, brief announcements. Uh, I want to remind those that are going to the Lads to Leaders Convention that your deposits are due now. Also, uh, next Sunday morning at 8 o'clock, we're going to have the men's breakfast, and I would encourage all of our men to plan to be there. There's a list you can sign uh, back in the foyer if you want to come. It's a wonderful time of fellowship, and let me tell you, the food's good too. It's just like a Shoney's buffet almost. But anyhow, uh, it, it's just a good time. So if you're a, a man, we'd love for you to come. If you haven't been before, don't worry about it. Uh, just come and be with us uh, and sign the list. And if you want to bring a guest, that would be okay. Also, I want to remind all teens in our youth group and their families that we're going to have a devotional fellowship in the annex following our classes tonight. And uh, we'll have pizza and uh, the finger foods that are brought and so forth. So if you're a teen and their family, try to stay tonight uh, in the annex. I believe that's all the announcements that I have tonight. Again, we want to extend a very warm and cordial welcome to all who are here. We are, are blessed once again to have visitors, and uh, we want you to know it's an honor to have you with us, and we want you to always come back and be with us anytime that you can. I want to close out with a word of prayer. And uh, then I'll let the teachers go to class as we sing our theme song again, all right? And everybody can try to join in on that uh, as our teachers go to class. Will you bow with me? Our merciful and kind Heavenly Father, we are indeed grateful to you for all that you've done for us. We recognize you as our creator, the giver, and sustainer of all life. Father, we acknowledge our dependence upon you completely. And tonight, Father, we are mindful of many on our sick list that uh, we want you to continue to uh, help and heal. Uh, Father, please bless those that are sick. Bless those who are grieving over the loss of loved ones, Father. Father, we're so thankful for this church that meets at Boonville. We're thankful for our leaders, our elders, and our deacons, and our Bible class teachers. And for each member, Father, we're so thankful for the love that is so obvious here and the unity that binds us together. And may we always glorify and honor you in all things in Christ's name. Amen. All right. We're reaching forward to serve our Father. We're reaching forward to serve our God. We're reaching forward to spread the gospel. We're reaching forward.
today? Anybody know? Not yet? I know that some folks probably, you know, had to go free up some CDs and stuff. And, you know, you can't just do that on the fly. So appreciate you taking care of that. But really appreciate very much this congregation. And we have a lot, a lot of sick people. And I'm going to go through this list very quickly. If you have an update about some of these, that would be wonderful. I would be glad to change the information that I have. Or if you want to add somebody at the end, we'll do that too. Irene Baker has terminal cancer. Austin Wentz is undergoing treatments. Uh, Wilda Gardner had eye surgery on Thursday. Is she doing okay? She's doing well. Don Dawson's not well. Uh, Wade Davis is still missing over seven months now. Carolyn Wilcutt's recovering. Bobby Petty has lung cancer. Doug Smith's dad has Parkinson's. Uh, Cody McGee's recovering from his foot surgery. Anybody know if he's gone back to work yet? Yes. That, okay. Well, that was going to be soon, a few weeks ago. A chopper's here tonight, but he's still suffering. And in a couple of weeks, he's going to see a new doctor, and they're going to start from scratch, I think. So hopefully, hopefully they can get him some relief. Larry Kennedy has lymphoma. Danny Ramdahl has kidney problems. Van Roberts has pancreatic cancer. Paul Rollison has brain cancer. Lex Crossan has health issues. Joan and Martha's sister Norma has illness. She had surgery recently, didn't she? Okay. Tony Presley has leukemia. Marty Woodruff has cancer. Patsy Baines recovering. Eli Johnson is undergoing treatments. He's having a tough time too right now. Jackie Lambert's Dale's sister. She's having surgery on Tuesday. James Goddard has cancer. Uh, Micah McBrayer has leukemia. Eddie's recovering from his surgery, and that's a slow process, but that, that was a major big deal. John Roten's been having some health problems, but Peggy said he was doing a little, some better. Uh, Linda Garrett, of course, has breast cancer. She is going to be having a procedure on February the 22nd. They're going to follow that up with radiation. And by the way, we prayed over that, and her visit to the doctor, they're doing probably what would be the least treatment that you would have with this situation. So I think that's a triumph. Uh, Ann Langford's a friend of Lisa's. She has a pain in her legs. Lisa Hodgen, I believe, was here today, but she's also uh, enduring some abdominal pain. Of course, Annie Kate was born on Thursday, and we're, we're very thankful for that. And pray for Katie as she's recuperating from this. It was very hard labor. And we're hoping that there are no long-term complications. Uh, Jackie Estes is Jim's aunt. She passed away. The funeral was on Saturday. He described her as his favorite aunt. So if that tells you anything. So we offer our condolences. Andy Bailey is doing better after an amputation. Any, any change about his situation? Same. <coughs> Uh, Marilyn's sister, Pat, isn't very well. Paul Goldman has health issues. Emma Hutton has Hodgkin lymphoma. How old is Emma? She's 19. 19. I thought she was young. Paul Nichols has stage 4 pancreatic cancer. Um... We heard that Riley was out of ICU, but still had deficits. Any change? <coughs> Crystal Millam lost a kidney due to cancer. Other organs involved. Any change? Okay. I didn't make these names up. If you have an update, I would really appreciate that. 
Do you have anybody else you would like to? Yes. She what? A long French plan. Anyone else? Ken, my mom. Would you, one second. Would you clarify who Allison Wade is? That's not our Allison. Okay, she is a cousin of John's. Okay. Not, not our, not, not Tom's wife, Allison. She has cystic fibrosis. She's already had one lung transplant. She's having to have a second. Oh, she has. Okay. And it's John's. John's cousin. cousin. She, she's young. She's in her twenties or thirty. Okay. Oh, really? Okay. Okay, who was over here? Ken, my mom, yes. Sharon Strickland, uh, she had to have some spots removed around her eye and her nose, and it is cancer. She's had a kidney transplant, so the doctors are having to consult with UAB and figure out how they're gonna do the surgery to remove what they need to. <coughs> Okay. Yes. Uh, to uh, a coworker of mine, Rod Coggins, he's on our prayer list. He's having heart issues. He's got to have uh, some valves replaced. And then also my father-in-law, Wendy's dad is having some health issues and having some tests and they really are unsure at this time what's going on with him. Okay. Uh, what was Ron's last name? Coggins. 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 Yes, sir. Okay. Grayson Miller, he's one of my clients, so it's been like 25 or 30 years. He has stage 3 cancer in his shoulder. They've asked us to put this place on the phone. Okay. Um, I have one. Jackie, here we go. He's staying with some. Cut this off here, and I, I know there's so many.
and we'll pray for these, and then, you know, God knows what's on your heart, okay? And we'll just, we'll, you fill in the blanks in there, okay? And then maybe we'll get around to them uh, as, as I keep asking for help, <laughs> okay? Let's pray together. Our Father, thank you for your blessings today. Thank you for another opportunity for us to be together and to study your word. And in this moment, just to be thankful for our health and strength and to think about those folks who are struggling with their health. And we're praying that you'll at least provide comfort in these circumstances, if not outright turn, turn of their circumstances. We pray for Irene Baker and her family in her terminal situation. Bless Austin Wentz as he is continuing to undergo a massive amount of treatments. Bless Wilda in her recovery that she'll have good use of her eyes again. Bless Don Dawson that he'll have good days. We pray for Wade Davis' family. He's been missing for so long. We pray for closure for their family. Bless Carolyn Wilcutt and her recovery. Please be with Bobby Petty as he battles lung cancer. Be with Kelby Smith and give him good days. Pray for Cody McGee that he can have a full recovery with his foot. Bless Chopper, Lord. Help him to endure another couple of weeks before someone else takes a shot at diagnosing his situation. We pray that this will be the, the right choice and that he can finally get some relief. We pray for Larry Kennedy, who has cancer. Bless Danny Ramdahl and his kidney problems. We pray for Van Roberts, who has pancreatic cancer. Bless Paul Rollison, who has brain cancer. Lex Crossan, who's sick. Bless Norma, who's having a hard time now. And Tony Presley and Marty Woodruff as they battle cancer. We pray for Patsy Bain that she can have a full recovery and um, good use of her legs again. Bless Eli Johnson as he undergoes a battery of treatments. Pray for Jackie Lambert as she has surgery this week. We pray it's a success and reaps the desired results. We pray for James Goddard who has cancer. Bless Micah McBrayer, who has leukemia. We pray for our brother Eddie in his recovery. We pray that he'll get stronger every day and, and feel good. Bless John Roten that his health will improve. We thank you, Lord, that uh, Linda had a good consult with her doctors, and we pray that the treatment that they have prescribed will be successful in uh, freeing her body of this cancer. We pray for Ann Langford that she will feel better soon. Bless Lisa Hodgen, who's been uh, dealing with a painful issue for a week now. We pray for Katie Bruce that her health will get better day by day. We pray for Annie Kate too. And also for Drew as he provides support. We pray for Jackie Estes' family and her death. And especially we think of Jim and his comfort. We ask your blessings on Andy Bailey as he's recovering from his amputation and trying to adjust to a prosthetic. We pray for Marilyn's sister, Pat Cooper, who has some health problems that are pretty serious. We pray for Paul Goldman, who has health issues, for Emma Hutton, who's been diagnosed with Hodgkin lymphoma at this young age. Pray for Paul Nichols, who has stage four cancer. Bless uh, Riley, who has a lot of issues, been in the ICU for some time, and we just pray that the um, situation will get better. Um, be with Crystal Milam, who's got issues uh, with her kidney and other organs that are affected, and we just we pray that that can be worked out. Bless uh, John's cousin, Allison, who's having a transplant, a lung transplant. We pray that that is going to be a good match and 
that she will respond and feel better, uh, breathe better. We pray for Sharon Strickland, who has cancer, which is made more difficult with a prior kidney transplant. And we pray that these obstacles can be overcome and doctors can do what's necessary to promote healing. We pray for Rod, who has heart issues. We pray for Wendy's dad, who has heart issues. We pray for Grayson Miller, who has stage three cancer, for Jackie Perigo, who's dealing with back issues, and we pray for Olivia, who has dementia and is dealing with seizures now and so young to be afflicted with this disease. But we pray for her caregivers, for her family, for their comfort and strength. Lord, thank you for being patient with us and we just we ask these things because we know that you're hearing our prayers and you respond. And I just pray you'll give us the confidence in you to trust every outcome, whether it is the way we want it or not, just to know that you are always in control and know what is best. And thank you for hearing us. And Lord, bless us as we study, continue studying about leadership and especially these qualifications in scripture and help us to understand what it is you expect of your leaders in the church. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, hey, it's been a while, hasn't it? So, been a few breaks and now we can get back to the text a little bit. We're studying in 1 Timothy chapter 3 this one area of scripture where we'll be looking at qualifications for elders. That's in verses 1 to 7 of this text. We'll also look, following this, at Titus chapter 1, verses 5 to 9, and look at those qualifications. Some of them are repeats, and some are a little bit nuanced. So we'll be looking specifically at that. And following our examination of what God expects of elders, then we will look at the deacons. And that's also in this very same chapter, 1 Timothy chapter 3. It picks up at verse 8, and we'll go down through verse 13. So we know it's a faithful saying that if a man desires the position of a bishop, he desires a good work. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable, and here we are at able to teach. I heard someone say that elders are apt to teach just about anything. <laughs> I guess that was a joke. I don't know, but... Uh, pretty significant, the idea of our elders as shepherds, right? Shepherds have the primary responsibility of doing what for sheep? Watching over them. When you watch over sheep, what do you have to do for them? Okay, thank you. <laughs> There's this long list of things we, we could talk about. But in particular, we're thinking about how shepherds feed sheep. Uh, absolutely. There's a lot of a huge responsibility on elders, but when we think about them feeding us, of course we're talking about feeding us spiritually. So it's necessary that an elder or a bishop, a pastor, a shepherd, an overseer be able to teach. I want to look at some scriptures I kind of point to the reason why this would be a significant idea. And I, I want to start with what I personally, I personally think is a terrific text that deals with, with this, and that's Ezra 7 and verse 10. Remember, that was a theme text for us for an entire year. You remember what that said? What did Ezra do? He prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach statutes and ordinances in Israel. Great. Take your hand and pat yourself on the back. I'm glad we spent so much time on that because clearly it has just dug in deep right there. But did you hear anything in there that kind of talked about the importance 
of teaching and, and of knowing the word of God and progressing? Do you hear anything in there? The very first thing that he did, and that's basically what we're trying to do, right? He prepared his heart. He got himself ready. Then he filled himself up with the word of God and he didn't stop there, right? He didn't just become a container for the word of God. He became a means by which the word can be distributed to others. So he taught those statutes and ordinances in Israel. Okay, Hollywood, here we go. Acts chapter 20, verses 28 to 30. If you'll read that for us. Uh, yes, sir. Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. Okay, so question, how important is the church to the Lord according to verse 28? So important that he did what? Purchased her with his own blood, yes? Okay, and then from that group of elders, what was going to happen? Okay, wolves are coming and they're what? What are they going to do with the flock? They're not going to, they're not going to save the plot. They're going to scatter it. And, and did you hear they're teaching perverse things? What does it mean that it's perverse? It's against, it's against God. It's sickening to God from among them. So question, is it important that an elder know the scriptures well enough to be able to teach the scriptures? Absolutely. Not you head this way. Is everybody, we need to do some jumping jacks. We okay? Okay. So it is absolutely necessary. Here's the thing. If, if you're going to teach something to someone, then you first have to what? You first have to know that yourself. You can't teach something you don't know. So an elder was responsible for the church that Jesus purchased with his own blood to teach the truth in an unadulterated sort of way. Don't add to it. Don't take away from it because there was coming a time, he said, warning, there's coming a time when even from among you, these wolves are going to come. Now, we're talking about wolves in sheep's clothing, right? You know, it's like, oh, wolf is way out there. We better get our defenses. That isn't how, they were from among them. So they, they looked like the sheep. They smelled like the sheep, but they weren't sheep. They were there to to twist the word of God. And really, uh, because of that, people are going to lose their souls. Okay, let's, let's go a little bit further. What does 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 to 3 say? Now the Spirit speaketh expressly, that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats, which God hath created to be receiving with thanksgiving of them which believeth and, knoweth the and know the truth. Would you know a seducing spirit and a doctrine of demons if you saw it or heard it? That's not a trick question. You would know it if you knew what? If you knew the word of God. And, and here's the thing. I, I've always thought, I always thought that this was important. If I know the truth well enough, then I can identify what isn't true. Does that make sense? Amen. If I know what the truth is, then I'll be able to identify what is not the truth. Now, what kind of nasty things did he say were afoot? What was coming? People speaking lies in hypocrisy. 
These, these are people who know the truth. They know the truth, but they are being hypocritical in speaking something that is other than the truth. It doesn't that make sense with the wordplay there? You be okay. Question: If you have elders in your congregation, ought they not be able to identify when those kinds of things come along? Yes. How would they be able to do that? Because if you know the truth, you ought to be able to identify what is not the truth. Yes? Now that would be true for all of us, yes? So we all ought to be students of the Word of God because you can't trust anybody. You've got to know this for yourself. Now, do I want you to trust me? Sure I do. Of course I do. But I'm just a human being. I'm just a person. What you need to do, your responsibility is to search these things out for yourself. The Apostle Paul said, look, it was great going there to Berea because, man, you know, I went out there and I preached it and all these people checked up on what I had to say. You say, wait a minute, well, didn't that insult you? Someone who teaches the truth says, that does not insult me at all. Please check it. Because... It is possible I could, I could be wrong about what it is I'm saying. Or if you believe me to be wrong and you search the scriptures, maybe you don't even need me to teach you. Maybe you by that examination will do what? You will teach yourself. And there's nothing, I don't think, more valuable than actually learning a thing for yourself. Okay, we're, we're still in 2 Timothy chapter. 2 Timothy, but I want to look at verses, uh, chapter 2 and verse 2. 2 Timothy 2 and verse 2. This will tell you also, okay, so an elder is apt to teach, but okay, now what, what's, he, what's he motivated to do as he is teaching? What is his mindset? What's he looking for? And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Okay, so Paul had in mind, I've got the gospel. I received it by revelation of Jesus Christ, Galatians 1, verses 11 and 12. And now I want what you have heard me preaching, and we did this in, uh, in the Wednesday night class, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17. Paul says he taught the same thing, guess where? In every church. So this gospel that he was preaching everywhere, he says, hey, you know, I'm not going to live forever. Timothy, I need you to get what I, you've heard me teach. And then you take that and you share that with faithful men and then they'll be able to teach others also. Okay. Why is it so necessary to get that kind of line of truth going? Okay. Second Timothy chapter four, second Timothy four. So you'll flip over, might flip over, uh, but uh, verses three and four of that text. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned into fables. You know, that is coming after one of the most powerful statements regarding the preaching of the word of God, right? Preach the word, be ready in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching because the time's coming. And then you see where it went downhill? Okay, if you know history, and we've talked some about this when we were talking about the distinctive nature of the church, but eventually, guess what happened? The, the doctrine starts tumbling away. In fact, you, you don't have to... One, almost every one of the letters that Paul writes to churches is dealing with some, some situation that has caused them to stray away from the truth. Only basically two, but, but really specifically only one church out of seven that are addressed in the book of Revelation are without any kind of problem at all. One of them kind of is struggling and maybe getting ready to fall off, but really only one church out of all those seven is doing okay. Everybody else is dealing with false doctrine. 
So it was, it was being told continually, this is coming, this is coming. But you shepherds, I'm warning you, shepherds, even from among yourselves, this is going to happen. You have got to hold on to the truth. So a shepherd, a bishop, a pastor, one of these leaders in the local church has to be able to teach. But able to teach what? Is he just talking about skill set here? Hey, I can teach. We'll just get a warm body in the Bible class. Okay, absolutely. St. Peter's, Peter's right there with everybody else. Yes, they were prophesying this, warning ahead of time that this was going to happen. Okay, that only happened in the first century, right? Everybody else is off the hook. You don't ever have to worry about it again. It still happens, yes? And uh, you notice in this text in particular, he tells us why it happens. Because people have what? Itching ears. When your ear itches, what do you do? Ooh, it feels good. Scratch that. Ooh. I scratch my cat's ear and he just... Dogs, they'll kick their little leg or whatnot. They love that. Okay, so you're hearing something you don't like. Ah, ah, that hurts. I want to hear something that feels good, right? Tell me something I like. Or something that will legitimize maybe some choices that I've made. So the elders were to be able to teach. It, it, not just, wow, he's qualified as a teacher. Not, not that, but he's, he has the knowledge, just like Ezra. He had prepared his heart. He sought the law of the Lord. He did it. And then on the basis of that, he taught others. And it is the perpetuation of the truth. We need leaders in the Lord's body who can lead the Lord's church in the truth. How do we maintain, how do we maintain oneness and unity within the body of Christ? Jesus told us, didn't he? It's on the basis of truth. John 17, 20, 21. And I not pray for these alone, but also for all those who are going to believe in me through their word that they may be one. As you, Father, are in me and I in you and that they may be one in us that the world may believe that you sent me. Oneness in the truth of God's word. So uh, to be able to teach is to be a careful student of the word. What does it mean to be careful? If you're a careful student, very cautious, yes. Um, Jonathan and I were talking about this with the debate practice that we had today. And that is, you know, some of these Greek words have all kinds of meanings to them. And in the wrong hands, a person can just about make you believe anything they want to. You can lift a passage over here and over here, and before you know it, you can formulate a doctrine that no one's ever heard of. And isn't that exciting? You've learned something no one has known since the time the word was written down. It's remained a mystery all this time, and now you are special enough to know it. When I hear something like that, now I don't, I'm sure it's true now, but I remember when the internet Actually, and some of you young people will not remember this time, but when people actually finally had access to the Internet and you could do, quote, unquote, study on the Internet, I would have people coming into Bible class with some of the craziest things that they had read on the Internet. And believe this, now, after all these years, most people, when they hear that someone has done research on the Internet, take that with a grain of salt, because not everything on the internet is true. Whoa! But in the beginning, most people thought it was. So they read that and they're like, well, you never told me this. Wow. No. If, if somebody comes to you and says they found something new, you, that's got to be a red flag immediately. Uh, Paul was telling those elders, you watch. Because that kind of thing is going to happen. And it happens because people want to do what they want to do. Okay, so they're, they're able to teach. 
not given to wine. I want to lay down two things to begin with that I think is important. One is Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 to 21. That's a list of the works of the flesh, and we'll have Rick read that for us. And then closely after that is 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. We'll find out the kind of things that will keep us from the kingdom of heaven. Okay, go ahead and read those lists. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, and heresies. Envyings, murders, drunkenness, revilings, and such like, of the which I tell you before, as I have told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Okay, and you, you see yourself in there anywhere? <laughs> Shock! <laughs> what? I hope not. I hope not. Uh, these are practices of the flesh. Uh, we're wanting to see fruit of the Spirit, right, as children of God. So just threw that out there. Didn't see any hands go up, but... If you sunk down a little bit, I didn't notice that either, so peace. Okay, amongst those, oh, terrible things that are described there. Uh, toward the end, verse 21, uh, he mentioned drunkenness. Will drunkenness keep you out of heaven? Sure will. So drunkenness you would categorize as a sin, yes or no? Okay. Uh, what about 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 and 10? Neither let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed of serpents. Neither murmur you as some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. First Corinthians chapter six. Oh, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in chapter 10. Yeah, you are. Okay. First Corinthians Didn't six, verses nine right. and 10. It's okay. It's okay. We put a lot of burden on Rick. He's been a trooper for Wednesday and Sundays. But he's just got that great voice, you know, it's, want to hear it. 6, 10, 1 Corinthians. 6, 6 verses 9 and 10. 10, yes. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, or revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. Okay, if you're a drunkard, you're going to inherit the kingdom of God? That's your practice? It's also described here as unrighteousness. And another word for unrighteousness would be, that doesn't even look like sin, does it? Sin's very deceitful even in its spelling. It's sin, okay? It's sin, drunkenness. Now, what about this text? Psalm 104 and verse 15. Now, as he's looking that up, I will tell you that this verse of Scripture is found in the midst of a bunch of descriptions of things that God created. And not only does it tell us what God created, many of them even tell us what God created the things for. Okay, so there's your background. What does that text say? And wine that maketh glad the heart of man and all to make his face to shine, and bread which strengthens man's heart. Okay, back, wait a minute. Back, wait a second. It says he made wine for what purpose? Glad the heart. Pardon? To gladden the heart. Okay. Um, in your experience, not, not your personal experience, in your knowledge, what is a property of wine? Alcohol. What does wine do? Okay, but what does it do to your spirit? Typically, it, don't be afraid. Uh, typically, when you hear people drinking wine, and I'm not talking about drunkenness, but you usually hear of wine being used when? Um, a wedding, like Jesus did what? Turn water into wine? Why did they have wine there? It's celebration. It does what to the spirit? It lifts the spirit. Why did God create wine? 
Did this text say God created wine? It's okay. Yeah, he did. Uh, God created marijuana too. You know, it, it grows naturally out there. So don't be afraid. Um, he also, uh, you know, he created anthrax and uh, lots of things that will hurt you. God's created things. But when God created everything that he created, he created it for what? For a purpose, for some purpose. In fact, you hear occasionally like, we have discovered that, I don't know, something like fly saliva can be used to generate a drug that will treat something. Or they talk about, we've got to preserve the Amazon because who knows, there might be a cure for cancer out there. What are they talking about? There could be a cure for cancer out there. The idea is that there might be a plant out there we don't even know about right now that has some kind of property in it that can be used in order to treat cancer. I don't know if you know Gene Hester or not, but Gene Hester has a couple of sheets of lists of things that naturally occur that if you use them in a certain way and apply them to one of your ailments, well, maybe one time out of 10, <laughs> it will help. In other words, there are things that have been created that have a purpose. Yes? Okay. Uh, one thing that wine can do is it can lift the spirit. That would mean that it would be like a natural... What do people take Xanax for? Anxiety. Is it okay to take Annex, a Xanax? Yes, prescribed by a doctor, blah, blah, blah. Okay. So... It lifts the spirit. It lifts the mood. You're depressed. You can take Xanax. Did they have Xanax back in the time of David? Could not go to the pharmacy and get your Xanax. But you could drink what? You could drink wine because wine has a property to do what? Lift your spirit. Okay, that's what the scripture said. Okay, what about uh, 1 Timothy 5 verse 23? What does that say? Drink no longer water but use a little wine for thy stomach's sake and thine often infirmities. Okay, if you've read anything about the water of the first century, you probably know why Timothy had stomach problems <laughs> and often infirmities because that water was not pure and safe like the water that we drink today, okay? So Paul says, hey, you know, what you should do is drink what? You should drink wine. Okay. Now, you can drink wine to lift your spirit, according to Psalm 104, verse 15. You can drink wine to help your stomach. Are these texts telling us that, hey, when you're sad or when you've got stomach problems, what you need to do is go get plastered? <laughs> Some of you are shaking your head. No, you're not. You're not. Nobody is. Don't even try it. No, because to get plastered and drunk would be what? It's, it's sin. You'd get drunkenness will keep you from going to heaven. Drunkenness will keep you from going to heaven. Look at... But you could get drunk on it, or else we wouldn't be told, you don't get drunk. <laughs> uh, so, in conclusion, that would mean they drank what? An awful lot of it. An awful lot of it. Uh, Romans 14 and verse 21, what does that text tell us? It is good neither to eat flesh, nor to drink wine, nor anything whereby thy brother stumbleth or is offended or is made weak. 
Okay, I can just go out here and drink all I want and don't worry about what anybody thinks, yes or no? But I can go out and eat steak anytime I want to? Did you read that verse? If it does what? If it offends your brother, whatever offense is the offense of drinking wine that you would abstain would also be the offense that you would eat meat. Now, the question is, what is that offense? In this text, Romans chapter 8, you have this problem in the first century of people using meat and wine in what kind of religious services? Okay, in idolatrous worship services. And so new Christians who probably had been, they were, had been idolaters, they had been in those worship services. Now they're coming into Christianity and they're sitting around with their brothers and sisters. And here this brother has brought in meat and wine that had been kind of the offshoot of one of these idol worshiping sessions. And they're like, they're horrified. How could we eat that? The Christian says, well, that wasn't a God, so what's the big deal? The guy who just left that worship is like, I'm offended. You know, this was in a worship service and I'm not eating that meat and I'm not drinking that wine. And so, conflict. So what did Paul say do? Don't eat the meat. Don't drink the wine. If it offends your brother. Is there a, is there a modern day application of a thing like that? Paul says, no matter what it is, whether the wine or the meat or anything else that causes a stumbling block for my brother, what will I do? I'll abstain from it. I'll not do it. Okay, we're going to put a peg right here because we're not finished. But do you have something to think about? Nod your head this way, if you still can. All right, let's have a prayer and then we'll be dismissed. Father, thank you for a great day today. Thank you for our class and thank you for the budding leaders in this class. I pray your blessings on them. Uh, please help us, Lord, as we study your word that uh, we, we will be true to it. We'll not be offended by it. We'll take what you have to say to understand what you want of us and to be faithful in the application of these truths. And thank you for your patience with us. In Jesus' name, amen.